0: Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. So, I started working on this episode a few weeks ago when I first started my series on giving yourself some slack. And you know what? I really thought I'd be able to bang out the whole self compassion thing in one episode. I mean, how hard can this whole self compassion thing be, right? Oh. Oh. Yeah. So, I had to split this episode into two parts. I just didn't think through everything that I was going to want to include, and as that list grew and grew, I realized that I didn't want to try and jam everything into a single episode. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on the difficulties of self-compassion, and then talk a little bit about mindfulness. Next week, we'll be going into the ideas of self-kindness, common humanity, and some other ideas I've been playing with. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash selfcompassion. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone about the new question and answer feature I have on my webpage. If you go to hackingyouradhd.com contact, you can record a question for me that I'll try and answer on the show. I'll communicate with you before the episode goes up so you can let me know if you want me to do something like use a different name, or I can even modulate your voice so that you don't have to worry about people recognizing you. And I only say this because I realize that not everyone is quite as out about their ADHD as I am. So please go leave me a question at hackingyouradhd.com contact. And also a reminder that I'll give preference to members of my Patreon for these questions. If you want to sign up for that, just go to patreon.com hackingyouradhd. Or just click the link in the notes section on your podcast player. All right, keep on listening to find out a really crappy way to get rid of a pie. Growing up, I always thought I was going to do something entrepreneurial, and this stemmed from my mom, who used to teach at the School of Business at the University of Hawaii, and then later on ran the entrepreneurship site for About.com, you know, back when that was still a thing. And even though it was never explicitly stated, I just kind of felt that was the expectation for me. And so that kind of led me into reading all those inspirational entrepreneurship things you see on the internet, and the whole idea of hustle culture. And from this, I fell into this belief that all I needed was grit. If I could just force myself to persevere through anything, then I could also achieve anything. But this is missing a key component. Grit without self compassion is just grind. Sure, the entrepreneur sphere has phrases like, rise and grind, but that grind wears you down. While we may be able to sink into grind for short periods of time to reach certain goals, grind is not a sustainable long term plan. Nonetheless, grit is still incredibly important. If we want to hit any of our long term goals, We're going to need to push through the hard parts. But again, grit without self-compassion is only going to grind you down. There's no winning without self-compassion. But self-compassion is something that's a lot easier to talk about than to live. This is a question I really had to sit with. How to be self-compassionate? I mean, it seems like it shouldn't be that hard. Just be nice to yourself, right? But I know I haven't always been really good at that, and it's still something that I sometimes struggle with. It's a lot easier for me to beat myself up because I made a mistake than to give myself the same reassurances I'd give a friend. But it's important. There's no reason we shouldn't try to be self-compassionate. I know I spent years with the philosophy that I could only motivate myself by beating myself up. I don't think that's ever really worked the way I thought it did. The first thing that we've got to understand is that self-compassion doesn't always come easily. And that in itself may lead you to being a critic of yourself. I've had moments arguing in my head about how I'm a jerk for not being more compassionate to myself, and then telling myself only a jerk would say that, and yeah, that's a fun rabbit hole to chase yourself down. Self-compassion is important because it's the remedy to perfection and being overly critical of ourselves. Of course, it isn't a panacea, but it does help us move forward without always beating ourselves up. And it kind of reminds me of an observation I heard recently, which was, I don't get people that don't find farts funny you still get the same amount of farts, but far fewer laughs. And here with self-compassion, we have the same idea. We're not trying to do more work. We're just trying to make the work we do more enjoyable. Just think about that for a second. If we have two paths, one leads us down doing our work and hating ourselves, and the other one has us doing the same work but not hating ourselves, which one should we choose? I know for years I picked the path where I hated myself. I believed that beating myself up would make me do better work. I believed that if I tried it any other way, that I would simply be giving myself permission to slack off. That I would slide into doing nothing, because I'd be okay with that. Choosing a different path isn't easy, and we can't reverse decades of habits overnight. But as my friend Eric Tiffers says, we can do hard things. Self-compassion means being able to be kind to ourselves and even forgive ourselves in situations that are less than optimal. When things are going well, it can be a lot easier to be kind to yourself, although I do know that when we're dealing with perfectionism, that can be hard too. What's really a test is being kind to ourselves when things aren't going well. Being kind to ourselves when we've made the wrong choice, or have done something that we regret. So let me take a moment to talk about something that I'm not proud of. Something I feel really crappy about having done. So last year, probably sometime in November, I had a night where I was just getting frustrated over everything. And I decided that the best way to deal with this was to just eat my feelings. So I went and pulled a pie we had out of the fridge. And I was still really frustrated, and while cutting the pie, I just couldn't get the cut to go nicely. I couldn't get the knife to go through the crust, and it was just not working. And then I just started stabbing the pie. And of course, that didn't make me feel better, so I just grabbed the pie and I threw it on the floor. Now, as I'm sure you know, this was not the right thing to do, and I immediately regretted the decision to throw the pie. I mean, now I had something to clean up, and it's not like it was a little mess. I threw it hard enough that some pie ended up on the ceiling. Now, a funny thing about this story is I don't even remember what I was so frustrated about. It seems like it must have been something big because I threw a pie, but I can't recall what it was. Maybe I have it in a journal somewhere, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, I lost my temper and did something crappy. While I'm not proud of this incident, I'm sure that everyone listening has something equally as reckless that they've done. And I'm sure you're also struggling with how to deal with the fact that you did something that you wish you didn't do. Maybe it's not losing your temper, but cheating on something, saying the wrong thing, or just not hitting your goals. It's really hard to be kind to yourself after something like that. After the pie incident, in my head there was no argument. I did it because I was a bad person. And this is an important mental model to note, because this is the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, I did a bad thing, while being in shame is, I'm a bad person. Or another way to think of it is, the difference between, I made a mistake, and I am the mistake. It's a small distinction, but when you're defining yourself as a person, that makes a huge difference. And this is part of the crux of getting into self-kindness. If we're trying to be kinder to ourselves, we need to work on understanding that while we may have done a bad thing, that doesn't define us as a person. I'm even sure that some of you who are listening are going, Really? You were in shame because you ruined a pie? And yeah, I know, there are many things worse than throwing a pie. And yet at the same time, there was no excuse for my actions. It didn't matter how frustrated I was, that was empirically the wrong thing for me to have done. But part of the reason that I share this particular story is that it's something that I don't sit in shame with anymore. Sure, I feel guilty about it, but not shameful. I know I made the wrong choice, but I also know that doesn't make me a bad person. And this is really important, because when we're at those lows where we think we're worthless and that we don't deserve kindness, is when we need that kindness the most. Now, when we're in shame, we try and hide it. Our brains tell us that if we share this information, That people will think less of us. And that while we do deserve their judgment, we still don't want to face it. So we hide the things we feel ashamed of. Which is fair. When we're in shame, we feel small. Shame is the root of self-loathing. But we don't have to stay in shame. One of the remedies for shame is to shine a spotlight on it. This is actually something that we do in the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Alumni Group. Where we occasionally have times where we share our shame griblins. And it's actually where I first shared the story. And when I did that, I was definitely not in a place where I felt any self-compassion for myself, even though it was probably a month after it happened. But this was a safe space where I could talk. Although, even then, I was sure people were going to judge me, or at least think about me differently. And lo and behold, once I shared, I had people telling me that they understood, that they had gone through something similar. But what really helped me was just getting that thing off my chest. I had been living with this thing inside me telling me that I was a bad person, that I was a hypocrite, and I should give up on the podcast, because who'd want to hear what I had to say because I clearly wasn't someone worth listening to? But sharing the story let me untangle some of the binds that kept me from seeing it as it really was. Yeah, I did a bad thing, but that didn't make me a bad person. Had a friend come to me with the same story, I wouldn't have been appalled or told them that they were worthless. It's also important that while we share these stories, that we do so in a safe environment. Telling our stories of shame is a deeply vulnerable thing, so we can't just unload on anyone. And we've also got to respect the people that we're talking to. Everyone is going through their own secret battles, and they're not always ready to help us through something. So before going into these talks, make sure you ask your friends if they're comfortable with the conversation you need to have. Just go, hey, I'm hurting right now. Do you have the mental space to help me out? Remember, these people are your friends. They're there to lean on when we need them, but they've got their own stuff too. But we don't just have to rely on other people. We can also work on building up our own self-compassion. So self-compassion can be built up through three ideas. Mindfulness, self-kindness, and common humanity. In this episode, we're just going to focus with mindfulness. So check back next week where we'll be getting into the self-kindness and common humanity. With mindfulness, most people think of it as just a meditation practice. And while it is true that there is mindful meditation, it's a lot more than just that. Mindfulness is about seeing life as it is. It's paying closer attention to your thoughts, feelings, and your body. With ADHD, our thoughts are often racing from one thing to the next. And when that happens, we tend to miss a lot. Like, how's your left foot feeling right now? Or your earlobe? Are you hungry? What's your emotional state? It would be overwhelming to pay attention to everything all the time, so our brain is selective about what it's paying attention to. And this can be a problem with ADHD because it's a lot harder for us to focus our attention, so there are all kinds of things that we end up never paying attention to. And specifically right now, we want to think about our emotions and our thoughts. Too often, we're not thinking about how we're feeling or questioning our thoughts. Remember, we don't have to believe everything that we think. I know it's hard to believe that we have beliefs that aren't true. I mean, if it isn't true, why would I believe it? But we also all know that we used to be wrong about things. I mean, just think about when we were kids and we believed in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Sure, those things seem obvious now, but when we were kids, we didn't question it. And right now we have other beliefs that we just don't question because, well, of course they're true. The reason that we want to work on practicing mindfulness with our ADHD is that we get so used to our thoughts that we stop questioning them. We start to believe our self-image and self-doubts are hardwired. But the truth is that we can change. Our mental traits are malleable, and mindfulness is something that we can work on. While meditation is one option, there are also some great exercises that we can do. One of my favorites is the 5-4-3-2-1 grounding exercise. And by the way, it's also great for reducing anxiety. So in this exercise, we're going to run through our senses to ground ourselves in reality. I'll give you a few moments after each one so that you can do the exercise yourself while listening. 5. Look around and name five things that you can see. In my office, I can see my keyboard, my microphone, my water bottle, a worry stone, and a picture of my family. 4. Notice and name four things that your body can feel. Right now, I can feel the carpet under my feet through my socks. I can feel the armrests on my chair with my arms. I can feel the back of my teeth with my tongue. And I can feel the rings in my fingers. Three. What are three things that you can hear right now? Well, I'm going to take my headphones off for this so I can actually hear some things. I can hear the fan on my computer. And of course, I can hear the sound of my own voice. And the sound of someone walking down the hall. Which I'll have to edit out. Alright, two. What are two things that you can smell? This can be a harder one, because smell is definitely something our brain tries to ignore unless there's an unexpected smell in the air. Just think how you can walk into someone's house, and some smell the house is producing just feels overwhelming. But then after a little while, you don't notice it anymore. So I find closing my eyes and taking a deep sniff can help with this one. So I smell the carpet in my office. I didn't realize it had a smell. And there's something kind of chalky. Maybe that's the ceiling tiles. And again, this one can be hard because often we're not used to paying attention to our everyday smells. If you need to, you can get up and smell something specific. Or try some of these examples. Do your clothes smell like laundry detergent? Does your phone have a smell? Or how about your water bottle? And if it does, it might be time to run that thing through the dishwasher. Just saying. And one. Lastly, we have taste. This can be even harder than smell. Our brains really don't want us tasting the inside of our mouths all day long. Right now, I still have a bit of minty taste in my mouth from these little wisp toothbrush things that I have at my desk. Now, if you can't taste anything, then another good option here is to say your favorite thing to taste, or something that you want to taste today, and then imagine that taste in your mouth. Alright, so that's our 5-4-3-2-1 grounding exercise. This is a great way to get your brain into mindfulness mode you may have noticed that this exercise is purely physical, and that's because it's a lot easier to learn mindfulness from a physical perspective. Our ultimate goal is to be better at identifying our thoughts and feelings, but the easiest way for us to get there is learning how to be more mindful of how we're experiencing the world physically. I hope you were able to do this exercise with me while I went through it, but it's much more effective if you do it more often, so set a reminder to do it later today, maybe even a couple times a day. I find that it works really well around mealtime. One, because you have a cue to do it, and two, it makes the smell and taste senses much easier to access. And as a side bonus, my kids love doing it. And so these ideas are really important for us to let ourselves identify what we're feeling. Too often we're so caught up in everything else that we don't actually think about what we're feeling or what we're thinking. Our brains are just filtering it through what we're feeling now before we even identify what we're feeling. And just take my pie story. I was so caught up in being angry that I didn't think about the fact that I was angry. I'm not saying it's easy to step back and be mindful. If it was, I wouldn't have had to clean pie off my ceiling. What I'm saying is that working on it and practicing mindfulness is worthwhile. We're not going to get it every time, but it will get easier. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. 1. Self-compassion can help with ADHD because it can help us realize that our self-image and self-doubts are not hardwired. We can change, and we don't have to beat ourselves up to make that change happen. 2. We need to understand the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, I did a bad thing. Shame is, I'm a bad person. Guilt can be a healthy coping mechanism while shame can lead to self-destructive habits and behaviors. Three, one of the most effective ways to counteract shame is to shine a spotlight on it, but be sure to do so only when you're in a safe and supportive environment. Four, mindfulness is a way that we can practice seeing the world for how it really is. A great mindfulness exercise is the 5-4-3-2-1 grounding exercise, where you list five things that you can see, four things that you can feel, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at hacking your ADHD. If you've got questions for me, I've also got a new system set up to take them. Just head over to HackingYourADHD.com slash contact and click the orange button. It'll let you record your question, and if I can, I'll answer it on the show. If you want to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your podcast player or share this episode. You can also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash hackingyouradhd. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tippers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahancho, ADHD Essentials. I also do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now, for your moment of dad. Why didn't the skeleton cross the road? Because he didn't have the guts.